Waverly, Iowa, a quiet community which has long served as the home of Wartburg College and the county seat of Bremer County. With a current population of approximately 10,000 people, it's small enough to boast a tight-knit community, but large enough to maintain a small medical center, a couple radio stations, and a few of the bigger box stores. Sitting just north of the Waterloo and Cedar Falls area, it's one of the last sizable hubs before you get into the smaller rural communities of northern Iowa. It's the perfect sort of town if you want to stay close to the bigger population, but maintain the small town feel that the Midwest is known for. Unfortunately, between the early and mid-1970s, the community of Waverly would be shaken to its core. Three young women would be found murdered, all three of them in rural locations, and all three would die by strangulation. Were these horrendous acts carried out by one individual, or did Valerie Kloskowski, Julia Benning, and Lisa Peek all find the same fate at the hands of three different individuals? I'm your host, Jeremiah, and this is Midwest Mystery Files, Episode 1, The Waverly Three, Part 1. Valerie Kloslowski. I'd like to apologize in advance and note that this case will be a bit short. I had originally planned for the Waverly Three to be one episode. However, I'm still learning and that turned out to be a bit ambitious for a first episode. So they'll be split into three episodes and unfortunately Valerie's case just has the least background and the least amount of information available. However, all three girls do deserve equal attention so I'm not going to let any sort of lack of information deter me. And lastly, before we start, you can find the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and almost anywhere else podcasts are available. Now, on to the case. Valerie Klosowski was born on March 7, 1957. The middle child out of three girls, Valerie and her family would reside throughout various cities in Iowa, including Sioux City, New Hampton, and Charles City before settling in Waverly around 1966. Reports indicate that in the summer of 1971, 14-year-old Valerie lived with her father, Harold Klosowski, her paternal grandmother, Clarence Klosowski, her older sister, Denise, and her younger sister, Michelle, in what has been described as a neatly trimmed neighborhood located three blocks from Wartburg College campus. Her mother, Janine Wiedemeyer, resided with her husband outside of Horton, a small community northeast of Waverly. In an interview with the Des Moines Register, Clarence would describe Valerie as being five foot six, very strong, and athletic. She was always on the go. Her biggest passion in life, though, was music, with Clarence explaining that she was very talented at the guitar, piano, and singing. Valerie had even written some of her own songs and poems. As her grandma Clarence would say, some of them were about peace and love in the world. Sunday morning, June 13th, 1971, most likely started like any other summer day for Valerie. She woke up, ate breakfast, perhaps strummed on her guitar or played the piano before she met up with her friend Luann for an afternoon picnic in the park. The picnic would be followed up with the two girls spending a few hours walking around town, laughing, and talking about whatever it was 14-year-old girls probably talked about at the time. The two girls would spend the afternoon together and then would part ways later on in the afternoon. According to the official timeline, in the early hours of that Sunday evening, Valerie's friend Cindy would arrive at the Klosowski residence and the two girls would head to the Waverly Swimming Pool, located a half mile from the residence. Clarence Klosowski would tell the Des Moines Register that Cindy returned later with Valerie's towel and swimsuit. Cindy would explain to Clarence that Valerie stopped to chat with a group of people outside of the pool, telling Cindy to go on in and she would join her shortly. However, Valerie would never come inside 
And when Cindy exited the pool later, she found Valerie's towel and swimsuit, with Valerie nowhere to be found. There's no indication of what actual time Valerie and Cindy left the Klosowski residence, or what time Cindy returned with Valerie's swim gear. However, Clarence had informed her granddaughter that she was to be home by 9 p.m., a curfew she would miss. When 10 p.m. rolled around and Valerie still hadn't arrived, her father Harold grew concerned and reported her missing to the Waverly Police Department. Monday would come and go, with no sign of Valerie. Then, come Tuesday, June 15th, a grisly and terrible discovery would be made. Three miles outside of Denver, about ten miles southeast of Waverly, two young boys walking along an unnamed creek would stumble across the body of Valerie Klosowski. She was found on the bank of the creek, just under a gravel bridge. Investigators indicated that it was unclear if she had been killed at the spot, drugged down there, or was thrown off the bridge. Her only remaining clothes were her upper garments, and they had been pulled up around her shoulders. An autopsy would indicate that she had been strangled with such force that it fractured her larynx. Investigators never would reveal if she had been sexually assaulted. Authorities wasted no time starting a probe on Valerie's murder. In the first couple days, officers from the Waverly Police Department, Bremer County Sheriff's Office, and the Iowa Bureau of Criminal Investigation spoke with over 100 individuals and visited around 100 homes in the Waverly area looking for any clues in Valerie's murder. It was throughout this early part of the investigation that a tentative timeline of Valerie's movements on Sunday night was established. It is unknown when Valerie left the vicinity of the pool, but it has been reported that Valerie stopped by the house of her friend Luann, with whom she had spent the afternoon with, to see if Luann would accompany her. However, Luann's older sister informed Valerie that she was not at home, and it was at that point Valerie left. It has always been implied that this exchange occurred after Cindy and Valerie arrived at the pool, happening sometime after 8 p.m. Valerie was then seen on the street corner around 8.30 p.m., although who saw her or what she was doing has never really been clarified. Luann's home and the street corner appear to be the only sightings police ever considered to be confirmed, but there were also rumors of Valerie being spotted on the back of a motorcycle. However, this seems to be a speculated sighting more than anything else, most likely fueled by reports of a motorcycle gang being in the area that weekend. Despite no strong leads, Bremer County attorney Richard Kimming was quoted in a June 18th Des Moines Register article as saying, I'm not dismayed at this point. If this were the situation a week from now, I might feel differently, but right now we're narrowing some things down. When asked about reports about the motorcycle gang in Waverly over the weekend, and that Valerie had been seen on a motorcycle, Kimming simply stated, We have that information, and we're following it up. Unfortunately, despite an extensive investigation, no solid leads would come in, and after a month, things started to look a bit bleaker. In a July 15th article from the Des Moines Register, Kimming would simply state, Things don't look too bright. I guess a month speaks for itself. We're not at a dead end yet. We're still checking information given to us, and we still have some lab reports to come back. Unfortunately, since that article, things had never have gotten brighter in the investigation to the murder of Valerie Klaskowski. The case, for all intents and purposes, appears to have grown cold over the years. Even coverage of the case dwindled quickly, only being brought up in conjunction with murders that would happen years later. Even then, her murder feels like a quick footnote in the coverage of those cases. Most modern articles looking back at these horrific tragedies seem to just gloss over Valerie, only giving her a quick mention. It truly is hard to theorize what happened that night, Sunday, June 13th. 
With the messy timeline and only a few sightings that provide little context, there's no real way to track all of Valerie's steps once she left the pool. I've always found it interesting that Valerie would go with Cindy to the pool, only to leave her and then go to another friend's house. I am curious if Valerie intended to ask Leanne to go back to the pool with her, or if she had other plans. Did she head back to the pool only to meet with foul play along the way? It's hard to theorize about the street corner as well, because there's no additional information. We don't really have any idea what she was doing or if she was with anyone. And lastly, you have a supposed motorcycle gang in town and rumors of Valerie being seen on the back of a motorcycle. Luann was quoted in the Des Moines Register as saying, Val was always getting into cars with unknown people. I would have stopped her. I've done it many times before. She was a very daring girl. I'm not going to jump to conclusions on what kind of people Luann was referring to. Whether she's referring to random men, older boys, or if Valerie made a habit of hitchhiking is unclear. If this statement is true, however, one has to entertain the idea that Valerie might have caught the eye of a young biker who offered her a ride, maybe even with the promise of taking her back to the pool. And Valerie may have been inclined to accept the ride. This isn't me trying to lay victim blame on her or anything. Hitchhiking and accepting rides was much more common and acceptable back then, and in the broad scope of things, a young girl accepting a ride on a motorcycle probably didn't seem all that suspect. Unfortunately, though, these occurrences could go south sometimes, and if it was indeed Valerie that was seen on the bike, this particular biker may have had darker intentions than just giving her a ride. I, however, don't really buy into the idea that he would have been part of an out-of-town motorcycle gang. Valerie was found on a creek bank below a gravel road. While whoever murdered her may have just turned down a random road looking for a good place to dump her body, it's more likely the individual knew that was the location they wanted, or at the very minimum knew it was there, indicating that they were likely local to the area. Best I can tell, seeing as how she left her stuff there, Valerie most likely left the pool with the intention of returning. I don't think she was forcefully taken from the pool, considering all reports seem to indicate that Valerie stopped at Luann's house after leaving the pool. It's all speculation for me, since we have so little info. But looking at the facts given, I tend to believe it was shortly after leaving Luann's house that Valerie met with foul play. If it was at the hands of a nefarious biker, local, or part of a gang that might have rolled into town, a local she may have known or recognized that offered her a ride, or someone else is unfortunately anyone's guess. Valerie's murder is very frustrating to look at due to its major lack of information, clear suspects, or clues. In 50 years, not much else has been discovered, or if it has, it hasn't been made public. There was a time when a 50-year-old murder may have seemed impossible to solve, but luckily in recent years, through DNA breakthroughs and advancements in investigation practices, more and more older cases are being solved. A similar 1970s case which happened in my city of Cedar Rapids involving Michelle Martinko, who was murdered in the 1970s, was solved just a few years ago with her murderer now behind bars. So we always have to entertain the fact that something could happen. County Attorney Kemming mentioned lab reports. I like to hope this implies the possibility DNA was collected. If there's DNA, there's always a chance. It's just a matter of matching it. Her murderer could realistically still only be in his early 70s which luckily still isn't too old for justice. It's Mother's Day as I write this. I can't help but wonder, would Valerie have been celebrating with her kids and grandkids if she was alive today? Perhaps she would have taken the, her talent for music and have went on to be the next big star. We'll unfortunately never know. What we do know is that someone else did get to live their life. They got to live their life while a father, mother, grandmother, sisters, and friends had to bury someone they loved. We can only hope that justice is found before Valerie's murder is buried in the cold any further. 
Next episode, we'll jump forward to 1975 and 1976, when Julia Benning would disappear, only to be found murdered several months later. And with episode 3, we'll look at the murder of Lisa Peake, as well as any theories pertaining to all three murders being connected. If you have any information pertaining to the murder of Valerie Klosowski, please contact the Federal Bureau of Investigation at 712-258-1920, or contact the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation at 515-725-6010. I would like to sincerely thank everyone for tuning in to this first episode of Midwest Mystery Files, and I hope you continue to come back so we can continue to give voices to those who have had them stolen. And just a few other quick notes before I sign off. If you wish to follow the podcast on social media, you can find me on Instagram at Midwest Mystery Files. I do plan to set up a Facebook and Twitter in the near future, and I will announce their arrival once I have them set up. If you wish to email me questions, comments, or case suggestions, you can send those to MidwestMysteryFilesPod at gmail.com or hit me up on Instagram. If you listen to this on Apple Podcasts and decide that you're already hooked one episode in, go ahead and please give me a review and five stars, and that way... I can get more exposure and we can make this podcast grow. Take care, everyone, and I will see you next week.